Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Turn with me to Psalm eight or 17, verse 8. Psalm 17, verse 8. And I know where I want to wind up with this tonight. I just want to make sure that I, I get to the right place at the right time, if you know what I mean. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Psalm 17, verse 8. I don't know how y'all manage to do it on all those devices. I'm a whole lot faster with it. Just paper. But anyway, Psalm 17, verse 8, it says, Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. We're going to be talking about the apple of his eye. Do you know that you are the apple of his eye? Well, what, what does really that mean? Well, you know, when you start looking at this, an apple of the eye, if you go, you find a, a kind of a definition from somewhere, you know, on, on, put it in on your little Google search, and it will tell you that it really talks about something that is looked at with affection, something that is precious, thing that you hold in high regard, something that you love the most. You are the apple of God's eye. You are precious to him. And the word precious connotates this, a high price, something of great value, something that's costly, something that's dear, something that's beloved, something that's choice, something that's fine, something that's highly esteemed, something that's highly important, and something that's irreplaceable. Do you know you're irreplaceable to God? That's why he looks at you as the apple of his... People think, well, God doesn't really care about me. Yes, he does. He knows. If he knows all the hair that falls from your head, that he's numbered all those hairs on your head, he counts you, the person, as something that is so irreplaceable. If there's anything that saddens God's heart... It has to be when people break fellowship with him. It has to be when people walk away from the truth. It has to be when people don't stay in close relationship with him, that they don't value what he brings to their life like they once did. That, to me, would would certainly, as a parent, I think would sadden my heart. And I, I feel that God looks at it the same way. You're irreplaceable. You matter. In every sense of the word, you matter. When he put this head, the psalmist put this in here, he wasn't just talking to David. He was talking to every one of us. Every one of us are the apple of his eye. When you think about this, you know, you think about how God sees you, how he watches over you. Um, I, I go, it immediately takes me to First Peter 5, 7. You don't have to turn there. But I wrote this out of the Amplified, and I keep this in my Bible. It says, casting the whole of your care, all of your anxieties, all of your worries, all your concerns, once and for all on him, for he cares for you affectionately and about you watchfully. 
who has the apple of his eye, he cares about you. And you know, it also brings into the whole idea of protection. If you can look, if you can, if you can imagine just as a parent looking at your child. You ever, ever seen a, a scene in a movie where, where the, the camera comes in close to somebody's eye and there's a reflection in their eye of, of, of somebody else? And see, that's how, that's how God is. You are reflected in the eyes of God. And he is there not only to care about you, but to protect you. I found this in a, there's a commentary called The Treasury of David. And it tells us this. It says, no part of the body more precious, more tender, and more carefully guarded than the eye. And of the eye, no portion more peculiarly to be protected than the central apple, the pupil, or as the Hebrew calls it, the daughter of the eye. The all-wise creator has placed the eye in a well-protected position. It stands surrounded by projecting bones like Jerusalem's encircled by mountains. Moreover, its great author has surrounded it with many tunics of inward covering. Besides the hedge of the eyebrows, the curtain of the eyelids, and the fence of the eyelashes... And in addition to this, he has given to every man so high a value for his eyes and so quick an apprehension of danger that no member of the body is more faithfully cared for than the organ of sight. Is that not amazing? You know, I, I, I went over to Zechariah after I, got, after I saw this, and, and Zechariah says, He that touches you touches the apple of my eye. Let that be a warning to some people. You know, that you, you know, you better not mess with God's property. I am the apple of his eye. And you're either good to me and he's good to you. Because I, I went back to, to Genesis 12, 3, and it says, where God said, I'll bless them that bless you. And I will curse them that curse you. So you better be careful how you touch the apple of God's eye. Even in your own thought life about you, be careful. What you, how you think of yourself. You're talking about God's apple. You're talking about his precious one. You're talking about his irreplaceable one. You're talking about his, his thing that is so choice and so fine and so costly that it should not be diminished in anybody else's eyes. Not even your own. You know, um... The amplified version of of Psalm 17, verse 8, it says, Keep me in your affectionate care. Protect me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the protective shadow of your wings. You know, that's just just so awesome. And so I want to give you four reasons why God sees you as the apple of his eye. And uh, I won't spend a whole lot of time because I've got some more places I want to go. Number one, he created you. In Psalms, it reminds us that God knit us together when we were in our mother's womb. If you've ever watched somebody knit something, like Miss PJ, she's already given me the, the latest throw for this year's, one of this year's prizes for the ladies' conference, and it's gorgeous, you know, as usual. You know, and I look at that thing and I go, how in the world does she do this? And really, when we look at each other, we should see ourselves and see, see our brothers and sisters as the creation that God knit together with such care, with such skill. 
that we can't even begin. I mean, when you think of the human body and how God put it all together and how it works together and how everything functions and how this is connected to this. and I mean, it is just the most marvelous thing you could ever imagine. That's how God knit you together. So he created us. It's something that it was precise. It was time-consuming. It required patience. It required attention to detail. My heavens, there is nobody any more detail-oriented than God. And he put all of his detail orientation into making you. And that is the most awesome thing. He looks at you with great love and great affection. And, uh, you know, it, it just, it, you just have to be reminded of that on a regular basis. Number two, one of the reasons why you're the apple of his eye is because he created you in his image. Genesis 1.27 says that God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he them. He, he didn't just create you. He created you in his image. In his image. You are to be a reflection of him in his character and his personality. Everything about you is supposed to be a representation of God the Father. He made you in his image so he could have fellowship with you. He made you like him so that you could have common fellowship. You know, it's, it's hard to have fellowship with a two-month-old. I mean, you love them, and, and by that time, maybe they're smiling at you, but you can't have a lot of fellowship with them. But as they grow, you fellowship with them more and more. But God created us just like him so we could communicate on the same level. He created us as a spirit. He gave us a body. He gave us a mind. But he created us as spirits so that we could communicate spirit to spirit. There had never been another creature like man. Never. But God put his own spirit inside of man. Every time a baby is conceived, God puts his spirit on the inside of that child so that when that child is older and and has been born and has grown, he can learn to fellowship out of his spirit with his father God who is a spirit. How How can you really fellowship with somebody except on the same plane with their... I can't really fellowship with somebody who speaks German because I have no idea what they're saying. You know, when I was in, in, uh, in Brazil with Pastor Nancy a few years ago, you know, we go in, of course, their church is singing in, you know, in something, you know, Portuguese, I guess it was. I have no idea what they're saying. But there was a spirit attachment to it. There was a spirit attachment. I may not be able to comprehend with my mind what they were singing, but in my heart, I was drawn. That's the spirit man talking in the spirit. You know, and that's why God created you and me in his own image, not just a physical body, which I believe we probably look like God, but he created us with a spirit so that we could connect with him. And as we learned more about it and how to connect with him, we could come into connection with him on a deeper and more spiritual level than ever before. You know, that's, that's what we're all growing toward. And ultimately, when we get to heaven, that's the ultimate fellowship we're going to have with him. When we are face-to-face, spirit-to-spirit, right here in the same presence, the same vicinity, the same atmosphere with him, that's where we're going to know the fullness of what it means to communicate and to connect with our Father God. You know, it's, uh, it's not that God's ever changed his mind. He's not about that. He, he's, he wants to have a personal relationship with everyone while we're here, not just to wait till we get to heaven. 
That's why it's just so important that if you know you ever lead someone to the Lord, don't just lead them to the Lord, lead them to the Word. Encourage them to get into the Word and find out who they are in the Word, to find out who their Father is, to find out what Jesus has done for them, to find out what Jesus has left here for them to enjoy, to find out what Jesus wants them to have here, and and then for them ultimately to discover what he has waiting for them and what they can do here, you know, to to have rewards when they get to heaven. It's not just about getting to heaven. It's, It's about taking fruit with you. And so on that level, he's, he's created us so that when we become born again, that, that we have a desire to see other people enjoy what we're enjoying. That we have a desire to, to bring in the precious fruit of the earth so that these people that I know can enjoy the same kind of fellowship that we enjoy with him. Number three, why, does he, why did he create us as the apple of his eye? Because he redeemed us. If you need any further proof of why you're in the apple of his eye, you have to look at the cost he paid to redeem you. He went through a lot to win you back. Listen, in the, in the, in the garden, Adam and Eve were spirit beings who communicated with him every day. He came down in the cool of the day, and he fellowshiped with them. And when they sinned, that fellowship was broken, but immediately God didn't say, oops, failure, you know, throw that one out. He went, no, I've got a plan. I've got a plan. And he set his plan in motion immediately, and he worked that plan until Jesus came, and then Jesus fulfilled his ministry, and Jesus went to the cross, and Jesus went to the grave, and Jesus went to the hell, and Jesus came out of the tomb, hallelujah, and then he ascended into heaven and sat down with the majesty on high. That's the cost that he paid. That's why you're the apple of his eye. You know, it, it, it's, it's a hard, I would think it was, if there's anything hard for God, it has to be hard when people deliberately reject what he's done for them. When you share the gospel with somebody who hardens their heart and says no to God, that's got to be hard for him. has to be. You know, it, it has to be heartbreaking that he paid so much so that they could have so much, and they refuse it. They, no, I don't want that. I don't need that. Oh, you don't need it. You don't even know what you're saying. You know, the heart has to be changed. That's why we, that's why we spend so much time praying about people's hearts being receptive when we have the opportunity and, and the leading of the Lord to share the gospel with them. Is that their hearts are open and they're softened and they're ready to receive because God paid such a high price for this. Can you imagine the fullness of deity was placed into a human body? That alone is a miracle. That alone is a miracle. And then the fact that he experienced everything that you and I experienced. He suffered everything you and I suffered. And he overcame. He overcame. Showing us that as a man, he overcame, we can overcome. He paid a high price for all of that. I, I, I found a, a verse over in Psalm 49. You're close by. Psalm 49, verse 8. 
It says, for the redemption of their soul is precious, and it ceases forever. I've got the amplified version of this, I think. It says, ransom of their life is, is too costly, and the price they can pay can never suffice. Nothing man has ever done could suffice. Nothing man has ever done could, could possibly pay the price of my redemption. That ransom note was way too expensive for anything I could ever give, anything I could ever do. And that's why God sent his son. And that's why his son chose to come. And that's why his son has done what we could not do and paid a price we could not pay. You know, there's an old song about when, when Jesus, when father looks at Jesus on the cross, he sees me. He sees me. Because Jesus took me on on that cross. He took all of my sin. He took all of my failure. He took all of my woes. He took it all. He took everything that I am on himself and then opened it back up for me to take on all of who he is. Oh, hallelujah. What an awesome thing that was. All of me got swallowed up into him and now he gives me all of him. Oh, what a marvelous thing that is. You know, and we're the apple of his eye. We're the apple of his eye. And then lastly, the reason why we know we're the apple of his eye is because he's made an eternal home for you and me. You know, God created this world, this, this, this planet, everything on it, this galaxy, this universe, this entirety of space just for man. To think of all the work he put in to preparing the place that he was going to create man. And then the detail he put into creating the being, man himself. He didn't, he didn't just mean for this to be our permanent home. He went to work preparing another place for us. Something that's so, so, so wonderful that you and I can't describe it. We can't even comprehend what it's like. That um, people say it's just pie in the sky, that it's some kind of a fairy tale. I don't believe that. I believe the word is true. I believe he's gone to prepare a place for me. He has a specific place in mind for me. He had a specific place in mind for me in this life. He has a specific place in mind for me in the next life. And it's so much more wonderful than words could ever describe. And that's because we're the apple of his eye. Amen. Uh, The purpose of the cross leads you to this one reason. God referring to you as the apple of his his eye leads you to the same reason. He has prepared a place for you and is coming back again for you. Hallelujah. You know, we haven't experienced his love completely while we're here, and and we won't until we get to heaven. But I tell you, what we do experience here is pretty awesome. It's pretty good. And yet, it pales in comparison to what we're going to personally experience when we walk into heaven. We walk into that place, and we're just going to be overwhelmed by the love of God. And uh, it just, you know, reminds us that, that God's love is not a superficial kind of thing, but it's something that's eternal, it's everlasting, it's never changing. Uh, it, it, it doesn't shift with time, it doesn't shift with mood, it doesn't shift with anything, it just is. 
It is what it was and is and always shall be. And, uh, and we, we find all that, you know, all the, it just is wonderful. But, you know, there's some other things in here in the, in the word that, that the, the Father has said about you. And one of the things that I, that I found, you know, today, I mean, I, I know there's probably a lot more. In Psalm 18, verse 19, you're still in Psalms. We might as well just go over there. Hallelujah. Psalm 18, verse 19. The last part of this verse is is what I really wanted to get to. It it says, He brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because he delights in me. Do you know the Father delights in you? He delights in you. If you have children, you know what joy they bring to your heart. You know, he delights in you. In you. Um, Psalm 8. You know, this is this psalm is also repeated in Hebrews 2 6. And uh, it says, uh, starting in verse 3, it says, When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've ordained, what is man? that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him. For you have made him a little lower than the angels and have crowned him with glory and with honor and have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands and you've put all things under his feet. You know, it's repeated in Hebrews. And so when I went to Hebrews... You know, this is what some other translation says. It says, you have created him but a little lower than God. Another translation says, a little less than divine. Another version says, a little less than God. And a version called the Harrison translation of the psalm says, in comparison with deity, you made him inferior. Not in comparison to anything else, but in comparison to deity, he made you just a little lower just a little lower. That's what God thinks of you. He made you just a little lower than himself. Just a little lower. Zephaniah. Can you find Zephaniah? It's like three books back from Malachi. Zephaniah. We're going to go to Zephaniah 3, verse 17. Is that the one I want? Maybe that's not the one I want. I'll read you the one I want. Maybe it's not this one. Anyway, it says, The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with singing or or with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. You know, I've had somebody in a, in a worship workshop one time say that, that this, this word about he'll rejoice over you with singing is that he literally spins and dances around. He's so thrilled about you that he spins and dances around. He sings about you. He sings over you. He rejoices over you. You are the apple of his eye. You're wonderful. I mean, you ever, you ever seen your kids, you know, when you, and, you, and, the, and they just bring such joy to your heart. You just, you're, just, you're just beside yourself about how much you love them. That's a picture of God. It's a picture of God. 
He will save. He will rejoice over you with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over you with singing. And he does that on a regular basis. Why? Because you're his beloved. You're the apple of his eye. So then I want to go over to to the New Testament. And I want you to see over here in Romans, and I brought some other books up here with me, so I hope I remember to get them all out at the right time. Uh, Romans 1, verse 7. Mm. I must be... Nope, that's not it. I wrote it down wrong, sorry. That's okay. All right, let's go to 1 Peter 2.9. We'll just skip Romans. 1 Peter 2.9. This is, you know, Peter writing by the Holy Ghost. Verse 9. This is how God looks at you, according to the New Testament. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a peculiar, or it could be translated as purchased people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. A chosen generation, a race or body of people with a common life or descent. That's who you are, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. You are enabled and commissioned to stand before him as a priest. You are here as a king in his presence. He's made us kings and priests. You know, the Bible talks about Jesus as being the king of kings. Well, what kings are we being the king of? All of you. He's the king of all the kings and all the queens. He's the king. But he's made us a royal priesthood. We can stand before his presence with authority. We can stand in his presence, you know, as people of position. We have position. We're seated with Jesus at the right hand of the Father. That's the position we have. But he's called us forth. Can you imagine? Can you look back and and even begin to comprehend how much darkness he delivered you out of? You know, some of us are older than others. And, and, and we're able to see more clearly how dark the world has gotten over the last few decades. Somebody who's just been born, you know, 20, maybe 30 years, has no clue as to how far this world has gone downhill. But some of us, you know, who are older, you know, past 50 especially, we see what this world was like at one time. We see the emphasis that there was on family and virtue and excellence and integrity and dignity that has been eroded and how how far we've gone. You know, when when they built the second temple, some people rejoiced and some people cried 
because they knew the glory of the former house was so much greater than the glory of the latter house. Today, you and I, and we see what, we, what was, which wasn't perfect, you know, the 19-whatevers, you know, but to see how bad it's gotten, that looks good. Even though it wasn't great, it's so much better than what it is now. The perspective is so much, so much different. But here's some other things. Go with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 1. I've got this right, I know. This is Paul saying, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which was given you by Jesus Christ that in everything, he's, he's, he's telling them, he's telling them something good about them. In everything you are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you so that you come behind in no gift waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? If Paul wrote to these believers in Corinth, he could certainly write that to us today. He should be able to write that to us today. That in everything we're enriched in all utterance and in all knowledge so that we've come behind in no gift. Philippians 1 Verses 3 through 6. He's talking again to the church at Philippi, and I'm talking to the church in High Springs. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. This is what God is saying about you. He's going to perform it from the beginning. What he started in you, he will complete. Just stick with him. He'll complete it. Stay with it. Stay with the word. He'll complete what he started in you. And what he started was an awesome thing. Hallelujah. Go with me to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. Hallelujah. Let me open up my my 26 translations. 1 Thessalonians, uh, chapter 1 and verse 3. And it says, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God our Father. Here's what it says in the Amplified. Recalling unceasingly before our God and Father your work energized by faith and service, motivated by love and unwavering hope in the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Then in the 26th translation, so you don't mind while I slide all these things around. Hallelujah. It says in that part that says, remember without ceasing your work of faith. Uh, 20th century translation says, we never fail to recall the efforts that have resulted from your faith. In the 20th century, later it says, in labor of love and patience of hope. The 20th century says, the toil prompted by your love and the patient endurance sustained by your hope. The Goodspeed says, your loving service and your unwavering expectation. Can that be said of you? 
Isn't that wonderful stuff? And then in, in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, it says, for, we, for this cause also we thank God without ceasing, because when we received the word of God, which you have heard of us, you received it, not as word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually works in you. Let me read that from the Amplified. Uh, turn the page. Um, 213, yes. And we especially, also especially thank God continually for this, that when you received the message of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of mere men, but as what it truly is, the word of God, which is effectually at work in you who believe, exercising its superhuman power in those who adhere to and trust in and rely on it. He recognized that they had received the word. Now, the last part of this, and you have to give me an extra couple of minutes, I'm sorry. Uh, Hebrews 13, verse 17. And this is really where I wanted to go all along. Hallelujah. Hebrews 13, verse 17. This is where I wanted to end up. You may not think it, but, it, but just you know, bear with me a couple of minutes. Besides, you, you, bear, you, you kind of let, wait, waited through Brother Allen for a long time Sunday morning. You can wait for me an extra few minutes. <laughs> the children's departments, I think, were having a tough time. <laughs> In verse 17, it says, Obey them that have the rule of you. That's not, what I'm, that's not where I'm going. And submit yourselves. But here, here they go. For they watch for your souls as they, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable for you. Now, is that something I wanted out of the Amplified as well? Let me see here. Yes, it is. Obey your spiritual leaders and submit to them, continually recognizing their authority over you, for they are constantly keeping watch over your souls and guarding your spiritual welfare as men who will have to render an account of their trust. Do your part to let them do this with gladness and not with sighing and groaning, for that would not be profitable for you either. Listen, I want you to know that as pastors, you are the joy of our heart, the apple of our eye. I am so absolutely amazed by you folks. When I hear Mark get up to three weeks ago, and he ministered, and I just hear the word that's coming out of him. And Julia got up last week, and I just hear the word coming out of her. And I hear that someone was having a tough time, and somebody else in the church went to that person and gave them the encouragement, the word they needed exactly at that moment that made a tremendous difference in their lives. When I hear that someone came along and, and blessed another member of this church. You know, in, this, in the last couple of weeks, I've had so many, so many giftings, so many postal deliveries to have to make that I had to start writing myself a note about who gave what to who. Because I, I was having a hard time remembering, okay, now this one goes to who, this one goes, this thank you goes back to who, this one. And I am just so thrilled and overjoyed with the generosity that you show toward your church, 
your church family, to guest speakers, to, to people in general, the things that you do outside this, this church, outside of these, these walls. When I hear about your faith projects and how God has moved in your lives because of the word that you took on the inside of you and you became doers of the word and yet proved in the fruit in your life that it was at work, there is no greater joy for us than to see these things in you. There's no reason for us to be here if we don't see that. There's no reason for us to do what we do if we can't have an expectation of ha- You're amazing. You do not know, you do not understand how much you have on the inside of you. And, and I know you get a lot from services, but I know you go home and that you, get, you put into practice what you hear. I know you go home and you study the word. I know that you go home and you get into the word and you find out for yourself these things. Maybe you hear something in church that you're in a service that you're not really sure of and you're not, you know, does it really say that? Does it really mean that? You go search it out and you find out for yourself and that you spend time with God so that things get planted deep and you become rooted and grounded in these things, you know, that are so important and so necessary for your life to function the way God intends for it to function. When I see those things, when pastor sees those things, when I see you extend hospitality to other people, when I see people, uh, you know, PG and Miss Amy, they open their homes up to the singles, to the youth. I mean, to everybody. the Morgans open up their home to people all the time. They used to have the code to their house, you know, just come in and help yourself, you know, kind of a thing. You know, when I see people who offer their homes, you know, as places for connection fellowships and, and, you, and you reach out to people and you try to include them and bring them in, you know, it makes the heart of a pastor happy. Let me tell you, I can only imagine if that's how I feel. You know, when I hear stories about, about Andy, how she believed God for her camp money, and she said it wasn't about the money. It was about how she could grow her faith. I'm going, bless God, it works. It works. What we do really works. They're really, they're really paying attention. They're really doing it. If, if, if that's a joy to me, on a human level, how much more is it to God our Father who says that we're the apple of his eye? How much more? How much more? I want you to know that you're a special group of people Impact Family Church. Not just to God, but to us. Because you put into practice what we're so careful to teach. You put into practice the things that we want so desperately for you to know and to understand. And it's one thing to sit there and just hear it. And it's another thing for it to become revelation to you. And it's up to you whether it becomes revelation or not. It's up to you. And when we see that it has become revelation to you, what a fulfilling and joyous thing it becomes to us. And I go back to Hebrews here. They that must, they submit yourselves to those who are over you. They watch for your souls as they who must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief. There are times when my heart's been saddened 
just like God's heart is saddened because people didn't put into practice what the word clearly said. But I tell you what, it's, it's overshadowed. You know, I, I, I still grieve for those, some of those people in some of those times when, when things didn't go as they could have gone, as they should have gone. But I rejoice greatly when I see the ones who do see it fulfilled in their lives and who walk in the light of the word. You bring joy to our hearts. You're the apple of our eye, just like you're the apple of God's eye. Not to the extent that you are to him. Because I can't imagine. I can't imagine how God feels about you. I can only have just a little glimpse of it. But what I see makes my heart rejoice. I can dance over you too. But I won't tonight. (laughs) Well, we love you. Praise God. Thank you for staying with me an extra five. I'll take it off next week. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.